Hey, what's up, everyone? You are on the Eden Podcast, and we are so glad that you're here. I hope that the next 30 minutes will help you to become the person that God always dreamed you could be. Let's get started. Good morning. It's great to have you. My name is Daniel. I'm the pastor here at Eden Church, and, uh, and I'm pumped. Uh, I don't know if anyone else was thanking the Lord Jesus for the 49ers game on Sunday, and then also praising the Lord last night when the Ravens lost. So uh, we typically don't pray imprecatory prayers on people here at Eden, but on occasion when it comes to football, we do. Um, If someone was to ask you, what is the most valuable possession you own, what do you think you would say? Maybe your house, maybe a family heirloom that grandpa gave to you when you were a boy or a girl. Maybe it's your diploma or your college degree. Maybe, for some of you, it is your car. I'm not a car person, um, but a lot of people love cars, right? And it's funny because on Thursday, I was going for a little walk to take a breather outside of the office, and our office is right by Santana Row. And so uh, I, I was walking down Santana Row, and if you've been to Santana Row, on occasion, right outside of Hotel Valencia, there are these really nice cars, right? And I don't know what it is. I, I don't know what's happening. But, but there was this really nice old-school classic Ferrari that was sitting right outside of Hotel Valencia. And as I was walking by, I was walking to the Amazon bookstore to pick up a book. And I saw just a group of guys huddled around this car. And so I thought, wow, this is interesting. Guys love cars. Uh, and girls can too as well. So not, not typecasting or anything. But but this particular occasion, there were a bunch of guys, and after I left Amazon, there was an even bigger group of guys surrounding this car, and a thought came into my mind, and the Holy Spirit said, Daniel, don't say it. Don't open your mouth. You don't know these people. They could maybe want to hurt you for what you're wanting to say. But, and so I kind of just assumed that I wasn't going to say it, but then I took a few more steps, and it just came out of my mouth. I didn't even mean for it to happen, and I just said, hey, guys, can you take a step back from my car? And they turned around and they were like, what? And then they saw me. They're like, I said, oh, I'm just kidding. They weren't impressed. They weren't impressed. And it wasn't funny to them, apparently. But sometimes we value things, right? We, we, we value certain things. I don't know what that would be for you. But it's really interesting that the Bible actually gives us a lot of wisdom about what is worth treasuring. Like what is worth our hearts to value. One time Jesus tells us what not to treasure in Matthew 6, 19. It says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and where rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. In other words, what he's saying is don't put your hope and your confidence in something that so can easily, so easily be devalued. And I felt like Jesus was looking out, protecting our hearts. But then there are a few other times in Scripture that we see where it tells us what to value, what to treasure, There was this one time where Moses, the great Hebrew leader, was giving his great speech, and he tells people to value something that I'm sure in that age they didn't talk a lot about, and sometimes even in our context we don't talk a lot about it. He says, only be careful and watch over your souls closely. Like if you look at the context of Moses speaking to this group of people, the people in their minds, I would think they would say, well, Moses, we've been lost in the desert For 40 years, is there any other advice you want us to think about? Is there anything else you want to give us? Moses, we've been eating food that falls down to us from the sky. 
the only thing you want us to think about is to care for our souls. But it's interesting that last week we read a verse where it seems like Jesus affirmed the same thought. He says, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? And then he asks this really profound question. He says, is anything worth more than your soul? Last week, we started a brand new series called Are You Okay? And I think for us, it was really an opportunity for us to do some self-examination, some self-exploration. And for me, at the heart of this journey that we're on in this series was to get us to a place where we could examine the condition of our soul. And you might be asking the question, what is so important about the soul? Why do we care about it? There are so many things that I think in our context we could value, but there is only one thing that if we cared for well would impact everything else, would make everything else better. This is what Dallas Willard said. He's the philosophy, or he was a professor of philosophy at USC. He says, what is running your life at any given moment is your soul. The soul is the aspect of your whole being that integrates and enlivens everything going on in the various dimensions of the self. It is the life center of human beings. So the question then is, why is this conversation important for us now? Why is it important for people who live in Silicon Valley in the 21st century? I think it's because a lot of us are living according to a social norm that we've adapted that we think is healthy but is actually killing our soul. Most people, I think, don't even realize that every day as we live our lives, our souls are under attack by a lot of things. And sociologists have actually started to coin a phrase to describe what a lot of us experience. It's called hurry sickness. It's a condition of constant busyness. That means that you've been too busy for too long, and the only way to get everything done in your life is to be in a constant state of hurry moving on from one thing to the next. And I think a lot of us are convinced that that's the only way for us to live our best life. But as you live in the middle of hurry, if you're like me, what you're realizing is that it's slowly chipping away at your humanity. You're learning that when you are in a hurry, most times it is bringing out the worst version of yourself. I call this person in me, I call it NAD. All right, that's my alter ego. That is Dan, spelled backwards, Nad. And, uh, and when Nad comes out, you don't want to be around him. All right, he's bad for my relationships. He's bad for my health. He's bad for my soul. And that's true for you, that the worst version of yourself when you are in a hurry is bad for your relationships, right? You're short. You're rude to people. You assume the worst of people. It's not good for your health. 30% of millennials and Gen Z currently say they experience disruptive anxiety and depression. 54% of millennials say they are chronically lonely. 7 in 10 millennials would say they are currently experiencing some level of burnout. Hurry is not healthy for your heart. But most importantly, it's not helpful for your soul. If you remember last week, we kind of built this conversation around the statement, hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life. And we translated that to say hurry is the enemy of the soul. And so today we're going to talk about the soul because I think that if you're like me, you are hoping that 2020 will be a new year. It'll be a new year with new habits, with fresh perspective. And the only way 
that we're going to live the best version of ourselves, the only way that we're going to see our lives become all that they could be, the only way that we're going to see our relationships get better, our families get better, our confidence in God increasing, our marriages getting stronger, our peace and our joy and our happiness and our satisfaction increasing, it is, be, is going to be because we give attention and energy to what is happening in here. Because if you know like I know, so many of the issues and the things that we are wrestling with every day have almost nothing to do with the circumstances that we're living in and almost everything to do with the condition of our soul. And so today we're going to talk about the soul and we're going to talk about how to get it healthy. And so the way that we're going to do that at first is we're going to try, if you give me a second here, to roadmap the soul, to roadmap the soul. See, this is why you can't miss Sunday. Because you never know what is going to happen. You just never know. And the crazy thing is, I don't either. I don't even know how this message is going to end. But we're going to have fun either way. So before we get into anything, we're going to have to start drawing some concentric circles to understand the soul. And the first part is to understand that every single one of us has a will. Has a will. This is interchangeable with the term or the phrases heart and spirit. And the will is the thing that gives us the ability to choose to do the right thing or to do the wrong thing. It is our ability to say yes or to no, yes or no, and it is the most raw and basic part of our personality. It is what makes a human being unique to every other human being. And, and you may know this if you have children or younger siblings or Nephews and nieces, when a child is uh, young, the first words that they learn to say are the words no and mine, right? No and mine. And, and what's interesting, what they are discovering in this moment is that they have a will. And so the will is healthiest and it's best when it's surrendered to God. And when that happens, we're making healthy decisions about life. We're making wise decisions about our future. We're operating out of confidence we're making decisions out of confidence, not out of fear, out of confidence, not out of worry or doubt. Okay, that's the will. The second concentric circle is the mind. And the mind is a reference to everything and anything that we think or that we feel. And so it's all the things in our mind that we are conscious of. So your memories, your values, your dreams, your emotions, your humor, all of this is encompassed in the mind. And the mind is healthiest when it has been transformed by God. And that happens when we, and when that happens, when we, our minds have been transformed by God's truth, we are thinking thoughts that are pure. We are looking at people's behavior without judgment. We assume the best and not the worst. We can filter out the lies that come into our mind really easily. And we can sit in the truth of God's word and just bask in it. We begin to see the world as God sees the world when our minds are as they should be. Concentric circle number three is the body. And the body is the one place that our will has a chance of being in charge. It is the vehicle that brings our desires, our will, out into reality. So if we desire something, our bodies is, is the thing that carries it out. And so the body is healthy when it is trained. Our attitudes and our habits will be consistent 
with our will. There will be no no discontinuity between the will and the body in our actions. And then fourth and finally, you have, that's a head, and those are are shoulders. (laughs) You have the soul. You have the soul. And the soul is the thing that integrates the will, the mind, and the body into one whole person. It brings everything together to operate in harmony with one another. It is essentially our operating system. And, and when our soul is at its best, like when our soul is healthy, when everything is integrated together, working together as it should be, um, it is good. It doesn't matter if our circumstances fall apart. I don't know why I'm even writing this. You can't read it. (laughs) Our circumstances are falling apart. Things are not going the way that we planned. When your soul is healthy, you you can weather the storm. You can sing God's praises in the storm. You can have joy in the middle of suffering. When the soul is wonderful, when the soul is integrated. But on the other end, when the soul is disintegrated, disconnected, out of unity, circumstances, again, don't know why I'm writing this, can be awesome. And you can still feel empty when your soul is disintegrated. You can have everything that you ever wanted But if your soul is disconnected, if your soul is out of alignment, there is no joy. If you've ever had like a bad back, you know that it's possible to function and to live, but you're going to live in a lot of pain. There's going to be a lot of suffering in the process of it all. And so the question then is what disintegrates the soul? What is the thing that brings the soul out of alignment? What is the thing that causes the soul not to function the way that it was created to? And the Bible tells us it is this old word that may seem archaic, but it's this word called sin. And sin really is an archery term used to describe any time that we've missed the mark. Another way of describing it is to say that sin is anything that we do that is outside of God's best for our life. And this is what happens to the soul when sin gets in. It enslaves the will, and so you do things that you don't want to do, and you don't do the things that you do want to do. It distorts the mind. That gives us then the ability to justify all the wrong things that we're doing, and in our minds it makes us think that it's okay or it's not that bad, and we walk down this path where increasingly the slippery slope of our moral compass becomes more and more deteriorated. It corrupts the body. It allows for our habits and our attitudes to overcome the will. And then, when all this happens, the soul has become dis- disintegrated. And this is why in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, it says, Keep away from sinful desires that wage war against your very souls. Sin is on the attack in our life in nearly every facet. Every day, knowing and unknowing, our souls are entering into a battlefield. I love it. One, one author t- one time said, He says, the Christian life, the life of faith is more like a battleground than a playground. 
And so we're battling it. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. When you go to work, there are so many opportunities for the soul to get disintegrated. In your relationships, there are so many opportunities for the soul to dis disintegrate. When you open up your computer every day, when you get on your phone every day, there are opportunities one by one for the disintegration of your soul. Remember the one question that Jesus asked. He says, what does it profit a person to gain the whole world and to lose their soul? Jesus isn't necessarily only talking about our eternal destination in that moment. But it's also possible that he is diagnosing the human condition that we trend toward sin. We trend. There is something inside us that trends to do things our way and not God's way. And this is the disintegration of the soul. And these are some of the symptoms. And you'll notice it maybe in your life if you examine it, that the will is making decisions with no intention of fulfilling them. That the mind is divided, the body is enslaved, and a soul, disintegrated soul, could have everything it wants and yet feel dissatisfied in life. I love one of my favorite quotes was from uh, Jim Carrey, Ace Ventura, The Mask. He says, I wish everyone could get rich and famous and have everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that that is not the answer. When you have a disintegrated soul, you say things like, I can't get it together. I feel powerless over my life. I don't have control. I have what I want, but I'm still not happy. And what you'll notice is that as you word those phrases in your life, if you were in a circumstances where those statements seem to be true to you, those words are the cry of the soul. It is the soul crying out for help. And what I know is true of my life and probably true of your life is that all of us have been there at some point. And if we're not there now, then we'll be there in the future. And so the question is, how do we bring our souls back to a place of health? Dallas Willard describes a really simple process of soul transformation, and I love it. I think it's so clear. But it begins with believing that, if our, that our cooperation with God will produce the greatest amount of life transformation. And so once we believe that, step number one is to have vision, to have vision. And vision is really a mental picture of who you could become and what your life could be like with God's help. And whenever we have a vision, whenever we have this picture of who we could become in our lives, who we could become with God's help, the purpose of it is to illuminate our heart and our mind to new spiritual realities because what happens when you have a vision for your life that is divine from God, consistent with what he wants for you, it drops into your mind and it begins to move you in a direction. And what you'll notice in your life and in patterns is that your direction will influence your destination. Your direction will influence your destination and it will do that way better and more significantly than any amount of desire. We're much more motivated by who we're becoming than what we're accomplishing. We are so much more motivated by who we're becoming more than what we're accomplishing. And so to get vision, you have to ask two questions. What kind of person do I want to become? And what would it look like for Jesus to live my life? What kind of person do I want to become? And what would it look like for Jesus to live my life? Second, you need intention. So first is, is vision. Second is intention. And intention is the desire for vision to be fulfilled 
and the decision to pursue it. And I love it because what intention does is it begins to bring out this desire in us. It's tied to vision, but it produces what we call effort. And sometimes when we think about our relationship with God, when we think about faith, we think God doesn't want our effort. But that's actually not true. What God doesn't want is for you to think that you have to earn anything. God's grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning because earning says that I need approval. But if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're connected to God, you're not working for approval. You are working from approval. Richard Rohr said, Most of us were taught that God would love us if and when we change. In fact, God loves you so that you can change. And what empowers change, what makes you desirous of change, is the experience of love. It is in the inerrant experience of love that becomes the engine of change. And so intention always asks, what do you want to be different about your life, and how badly do you want it? What do you want to be different about your life, and how badly do you want it? Third is the means. Activities that open up our lives to the action of God in our heart, mind, body, and soul to progressively remake our personality. And really, the means is any activity that brings you close to God. Now, you know, like I know, that a gym does not make you fit, right? I am a living example of that truth. You would think the guy doesn't go to the gym, and you would mostly be right, but on the occasions that I do, it doesn't do much for me. But what you do understand, though, is that if you go to the gym, what you are putting yourself in proximity are the tools that can get you fit, right? The gym doesn't make you fit, but when you go to the gym, you are putting yourself in the proximity of the tools that can help you to become fit. Well, this is the same truth for spiritual practices, that spiritual discipline, spiritual habits, spiritual practices help bring you into greater awareness of God's presence and the work of God all around you. So spiritual disciplines are putting you in the proximity of God's transformation. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 and 8 says, Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only, little, uh, only of little profit, but, godly, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Paul said, Discipline puts yourself in the proximity of, of God's transformation in your life. Habits work with your will to help train you to become a different person. It's always funny to me when I have conversations, and sometimes I'll have conversations with people who tell me, I want to go deeper in God's Word. I want to go deeper in God's Word. And, and, and a lot of times when people use that phrase, what they mean is, I want to understand more abstract theology. I want to understand more complicated truths about God's Word. I want to understand things that are so abstract that I don't actually have to do anything to change my life. And it's really interesting because sometimes it is easier for us to learn more about God by learning information about Him than actually being obedient to the things that we already know are true 
Because what I have learned in the Christian life is that if you want to know who God is, it is not going to become, it's not going to happen by filling your head with a bunch of knowledge about God. It is going to happen by trusting God in a moment of time and putting your faith in his truth. And it is in that moment where you have trusted God's word more than you have trusted your own will that you will understand who God really is. That is where you get insight about who God is. That is where depth comes when we talk about our relationship with God. You learn more in obedience to the few truths we know about God when we are faithful to it more than we could ever learn by reading books or or spending time in conversation. It happens through obedience. And so Paul says, discipline your life. Form and shape your habits according to the truth of God's word, and you will learn about God. Discipline your life for godliness. And so over the next few weeks, what we're going to learn are some of the most powerful, holy habits that we can have that will teach us more about God. And so we're going to learn about these things over the next several weeks, but I want to leave today with a few questions. What if 2020 could be the greatest year of transformation in your life? What if 2020 was the year you took the biggest step toward becoming the person that God dreamed you could be? What if this was that year? What if this was the year that you started removing the distractions that have been true of your life in the past? What if this was the year that those strongholds that have weighed you down are no longer true about you. It's possible. But what it's going to take is a reframing of the way that we see ourselves and the way that we see our, the world around us. And the beginning of that, we have to understand that God is for us. God is for you. God wants better for your life than you could ever imagine. And so the sleepless nights, the anxiety that you feel, the worry, the hopelessness, the anger, the frustration, the critical spirit, the depression, the discouragement about life, That's not what he has for you. Psalm chapter 23, verse 1 through 3. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me besides quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He refreshes my soul. And there's only one way for our souls to rest in God. It is only when we trust in God. Someone once said that God has made our soul for himself and we are restless until we find rest in him. And this morning, I don't know what this week has looked like for you. I don't know what 2019 has looked like for you. I don't know the relational conflict that you're experiencing. I don't know the joys that you're experiencing. But I do know 
that however good your year has been, however bad your year has been, that true rest and true peace and true joy in an integrated soul is only true as we connect with God. And so I want to give you an opportunity this morning, if you've never had a connection with God, if you've never made that step to trust in God for that first time, to trust your soul in his hands, I want to give you an opportunity this morning to do that. And so what I'm going to ask you to do, if that's where you're at, I want you to pray in your heart this prayer that I'm going to pray out loud. You can pray in your heart if you want to begin that relationship with Christ, if you want to live in the promise that he has for your heart. So let's go ahead and close our eyes and bow our heads. And if this morning you want to step into faith for the first time, go ahead and repeat these words after me in your heart. Dear God, I don't know where I'm going, but I know I need your help. I pray that you would fill my heart with truth, that you would come into my life, and that you would give me the peace that I'm looking for. This morning, I want to begin a relationship with you. I want to trust that the sacrifice of your son on the cross for salvation. I give you my heart. I give you my life to form me and to shape me and to align me so that I can have peace in you. I trust you, Jesus. Amen. Keep your eyes closed and your head bowed. I want to ask you if you prayed that prayer this morning, if you would quickly just slip your hand up so that we can celebrate what God is doing in this room. God bless you. I see you. Anyone else? Anyone else? God bless you. I see you. Father, we thank you for this morning and we thank you for the work that you're doing in our hearts. God, you know the world that we live in and you know the battles that happen inside of us. And God, you sent your son to this world so that we could have peace in you. He was our way maker. He made a way where there was no way. And you demonstrated your love for us that you would sacrifice his life so that we could be restored back to a place of health. And God, what our world is learning is that Outward health, outward perception means so little. But we are all searching for true meaning and true purpose. And we will go year after year, job after job, relationship after relationship, person after person, searching and scratching and hungry for purpose when we only find purpose in you. God, I pray this morning for this community and for this group of people, God, that you would begin to fill their hearts with a deep sense of purpose that one by one, habit by habit, decision by decision, Lord, we would begin aligning our lives with you.
surrendering our wills, Father. Allowing for our bodies to be transformed and our minds, Lord. God, I pray a blessing over this community as we go into the week. We thank you for all that you've done in Jesus' name.